0: The term for the doldrums of summer is dog days, but I'm not sure what the equivalent is for winter. Bear days, maybe? Alligators so cold they stick their snouts out of the water and go right ahead and freeze days? Y'all should actually Google that if you've never seen it. It's really how alligators handle a freeze. Anyway, whatever you call it, we're in the really boring part of winter right now, and it's making me antsy. Maybe it would be a good time to get outdoors and go camping or snowboarding or snowshoeing or ice climbing, but it's just so cold. On today's episode, We get a full rundown of the greatest new winter sports gear from field editor James Lynch, who was hanging out at the Outdoor Retailer Show in Denver, Colorado a couple of weeks back. Maybe you remember it? He was talking about a Cody light. At this point, he's pretty much seen every cool new winter accessory, so he has some really good ideas for winter fun. Also on this episode, we get tips from our senior articles editor Ross McCammon, who recently took over our Getting Started In series and edited a package on Getting Started in Winter Camping. We also talked to technology editor Alex George about the super entertaining new tech and auto products he's most excited about. And finally, we catch up with our new intern, who happens to be an Eagle Scout. Lace up your snowshoes and leave the emperor penguin days of winter behind, y'all. I'm your host, Jacqueline Detweiler, and you're listening to the most useful podcast ever. James Lynch, we talked last week on our last podcast when you were actually at Outdoor Retailer but we didn't talk about Outdoor Retailer, which I realized later was a problem. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait a minute, you're at this amazing event where you get to learn about all the new products. He was busy. He was busy. He was like hiding under a car or something by a
1: Jeep. I was hiding next to a car. But yeah, it was very busy. But I hid next to a car in a spot with delightfully poor reception. So it all worked (laughs) out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But now you're back. And we've already sort of talked about what Outdoor Retailer is. So, you know, you don't have to go in depth about that. But it is a sales show in Denver, Colorado, correct?
1: That's right. What was it like? What would you see? First and foremost, it is the most supremely overwhelming experience <laughs> that uh, you might have in a convention center. Well, actually, you know, there are a lot of weird conventions, so I don't know about that.
2: I was going to uh, say.
1: <laughs> it was really fun. We had uh, some fresh meat with us, a, a gentleman who's never been to OR before, and I really enjoyed watching his face. He walked in, and he just went like, oh, my God. It's kind of like at the end of Indiana Jones when they hide the Ark of the Covenant in the storage facility, it's like that, but only neoprene and DWR finished fabrics. Like, (laughs) as far as the eye can see, just like all the newest, brightest, shiniest, sharpest outdoor gear. It's really cool. And it's got sort of like a little bit of the aspect of the shopping mall corridor salesman where people are just there like holding their kind of like really cool stuff and trying to get you to play with it, check it out. And this being a snow show, there's a lot of cold weather gear, but then like hard fits, so like the newest, coolest snowboards, snowshoes and boots and uh, like cramp-on devices, just some really wild, cool stuff.
2: Is it
0: all arranged into, because here's what I'm imagining, is like vignettes, you know what I mean? Like a snowboard, like halfway down a fake mountain with like fake snow. Like there's a Bass Pro Shops in Memphis that's in like a giant glass pyramid. Yeah. I'm imagining it like that.
1: It really depends brand to brand. Like some of the bigger brands, like Y'all Raven always does a really nice job. And I think like almost, uh I and mean, it's just, they have some great like light colored wood. They have this huge like booth in there and you walk in and they're like, oh, would you like a cup of coffee? And, you know, it's all, all this stuff lined in walls like it's a store. And then you have some brands or school who are just out there grinding, self-funding with their like great idea and sitting behind a folding table with like 10 examples of this new product they made. Okay. It's really all over the place. Like, you know, also overlanding is huge and it's huge any season of the year so like you'll walk by someone's like beanie company and the next one is just like a tricked out ford ranger like all jacked up with tents on top shovels attached to the grill
3: jackie and i both just looked at each other when you said overlanding. yeah we were both just like what is a trend we're not aware of yeah
1: what is that oh overlanding is uh i think it's more popular out west than it is in the northeast but uh like people with trucks or vans or cars even sometimes to, like, put lifts on and maybe, like, you know, a tepui tent, you know, a tent on top or a rack that you can, you know, drive across the desert or overland, you're driving overland, you're exploring in your vehicle and you have a a ruggedized vehicle that can handle, you know, crawling over rocks or scraping between, you know, narrow trees and stuff and you have your, like, campsite to go with you.
0: I'm calling this big hiking. Big hiking? Vehicular hiking. Yeah, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Good.
1: You know, overlanding, also known as vehicular hiking, <laughs> which we um, just it's made up term.
0: Yeah. And who goes to this? I mean, you're obviously a magazine editor, but it can't be all magazine editors, I assume. There's got to be some what purchasers for stores and things.
1: Yeah, you're right on the money. I mean, of course, there are a ton of magazine and online publication people. You know, from the gear websites and lifestyle websites, and you know, even like a tourism board might come and, and send to, you know some of their publication to come and check out all the new things. And then you do have reps who are there to buy things. So they want to see all the new colors of socks so they can put their order in for next season for all the colorways of socks they want. Also, yeah, people say colorways, not colors. (laughs) I was going to say that
0: the whole colorways thing makes me... Price points is another one. I'm like, you mean the colors and the prices? They're like, no, 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 the colorways and the price points. And you're just like, but...
1: Because they don't have editors on staff who are out there just, like, cutting words out, like, this is unnecessary verbiage. Come on. Yeah. So there are a lot of extra words in this kind of thing.
0: So... What did you see?
3: What did you get excited about? Because you told me one of the things that um, sounded really cool was the uh, tarp. You could do a fire underneath and it wouldn't melt the tarp. Was there other stuff? or Can you tell us about that? But what else? What did you see that was cool out there?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's another aspect of it is surrounding the trade show. There are a bunch of events that, you know, companies will throw on and invite people and so, like, that's where I saw this tarp was in, like, a backyard of an Airbnb. And it's this Snow Peak is the company that makes it. Mm-hmm. And the tarp is called the Takibi Tarp Octa. It's this crazy kind of origami-like tarp. And it's fire-retardant, so you can actually put a campfire underneath it. And it was so casual, I didn't even realize when I was there. I was like, oh, we have a fire under a tarp. Like, that's usually a really <laughs> bad thing. But it was delightful because you could just sit out there, and there was, like, a light snow, but I wasn't getting snowed on. There was a little campfire that was making us more. It was awesome. Like, it was like, I didn't know I needed this, but this is great. If it was raining, you still want to have a campfire, you're golden.
0: Right. So you just, like, put it, like, what, a few feet over your heads, you know, like a roof kind of height? And then you... Yeah, exactly.
1: Oh, wow. So, like, you know, the peaks of it, you know, when I walked into it, the edge of it, I mean, I've had a duck, you know, maybe it was, like, five feet high at the edge. But then the peaks were, you know, closer to 10, 11, 12 feet tall. And then it was just, like, in the middle of it, we had a little fire pit.
0: Wow. That sounds kind of nice, actually. I'd be it, it was that. really nice. Yeah.
1: I did find out the smoke like circled back, so I smelled exceedingly uh-huh. smoky the next day.
0: That's what I was gonna say. The <laughs> other thing, carbon monoxide, I guess you got to worry about a little. But well,
3: there must be that, a right? little vent somewhere, right? The little well, the it's, peak. Not, it's, not,
1: it's a tarp. It's not a tent. So, like, you look all around. You know, as I sat down, I could see outside all the way around. Yeah, uh-huh. like, so it's open it's just, enough. It's just a roof. But yeah. no
3: smoke went out the top. There were no vents or flaps or anything in the peak. There, of it? it didn't go out
1: the top. It would like roll out the sides. I don't so like that's that. What I'm saying it did catch the smoke. <laughs> so, like, Peter Martin's against it.
3: I just want a little hole in the top to let that out. Seems scary. You know, you could do that. I
1: probably wouldn't cut a hole in this. (laughs) In your uh, new tarp? (laughs) Quite pricey tarp, but I support you. Other really cool things, though, I mean, hard goods are awesome. I mean, ski and snowboard tech is crazy. I mean, the stuff people are doing right now is you can get a board so customized exactly how you want to ride. The company that I really like and, like, their entire lineup is beautiful is uh, Arbor. And so they make snowboards and skateboards out of wood. It's just these beautiful grains, and they don't, like, paint them on the top. So you can just look at the grain of the wood, and it is gorgeous. Ooh. You know, Arbor Collective. So they snowboard. They also do skateboards. So you can get, like, a really cool longboard. It's a gorgeous wood panel. But, like, they make the whole tactical lineup with it, too. So if you want a split board, which is for touring, so you can, like, walk up a mountain. Let me explain a little bit better. <laughs> you can get a snowboard that is split down the middle lengthwise. And then what you can do is if you're at the bottom of a mountain, you can separate the two sides and then you turn your bindings on the boot so that they face in line with the split snowboard. Mm -hmm. So like they're going lengthwise with it.
0: So now they're skis. So they're
1: kind of like skis. That's cool. That's cool. And then you put a skin, which is like a grippy directional thing on the bottom. (laughs) You can walk uphill with them.
0: Like a mat, like a grippy mat, like a gecko foot.
1: <laughs> yeah I think about that we're like a fish scaling kind of situation they're oh, okay. like sort of like a very short felty kind of situation okay you know, they're called skins because original people would use like burrs and stuff when they did it
0: oh interesting okay
1: they're making beautiful snowboards another one a lot of companies are doing it now i saw it especially that uh, i saw a great couple of k2 examples k2 snowboards is that they're adding it's been around for a little bit now but like i haven't bought a snowboard in a long time so this is very new to me They're putting almost like a serrated edge on the sides of a snowboard edge. So instead of being a smooth arcing curve down the side of the snowboard, there'll be like a couple bumps. Maybe the whole bump from start to finish is like two inches long and only comes off the board like an eighth or a quarter of an inch. Like pretty, you know, low key. It's not like a saw blade or anything like that. Right. But so the idea with that, though, is that when you go into a turn and you set your edge in, I ski a lot in Vermont. It rained last week and then it got cold again. So mm. where I was skiing was literally sheets of ice. Like I'm not talking about like icy snow, but like you could look down. It's like very clear, thick ice. Yikes! Like a, like a frozen lake. And so you know there were little patches of that, and I would lose my edge. And the idea with like a serration is that it kind of cuts. Into that ice a little more, it gives you a little bit more grip. So you don't have one universal surface that slips out. You have a couple different points that are really cut in and hold you to the edge of the mountain.
0: Oh, that's, that's a cool, cool idea. This sounds like it's really fun. How many uh, off-site events did you go to? Because that's what sounds like the fun part to me is hanging out under tarps with <laughs> fires under them and going skiing. Yeah, it's with fun. The pros. It's also
1: kind of like it's a mixed bag of who you're gonna get, you know, and, and who you're gonna talk to. But you run into some really cool, interesting people. I do like a thing every evening. I have a, a funny anecdote that I hope doesn't make the podcast. I'll tell it anyway. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: One of the events was Spider, you know, the ski company Spider. They had an event in a clock tower in Denver. It was an awesome clock tower event. Like I would come like get a drink at the clock tower and like talk to other people, you know, skier type people. I'm like, all right, whatever. Like a free beer? Yeah, I'm there. So I went to this and I walked in the door. I don't know anyone. I went by myself. And I recognized a woman I went to college with. In the corner talking to another person. I was like, okay, great. I know she's here. Like, I can always just circle back and catch up with her in a bit. I'm like, do my lap, do a laugh, didn't see anyone. And so then I'm like, all right, I'll just go circle back and talk to Emily. So I go, I'm like, ah, dang, she moved. But if you're, if you're at the bar, great, no problem, talking to the same woman. So I walk up, I tap on the shoulder, I'm like, hey, it's so good to see you. And this woman who is not Emily turns around, and I'm like, oh no, I'm like, crap. Like, what have I gotten into now? And I'm like, ah, it looked a lot like her, though, in in my defense. Uh-huh. So I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you were my friend. She's like, no. And I'm like, okay, great. And then the woman that she's talking to goes, you might recognize her from my magazine cover. And it turns out this woman was one of the pro skiers for Spider. <laughs> oh, that was there for the event. It was like a meet and greet kind of thing. So I just, like, walked up. I was like, oh, oh man. And I had no response to that. So I literally just left the party. <laughs>
0: You were like, I just, I oh, you're like one of the celebrities. <laughs>
1: I just went straight down and out the building. I was like, I'm done. I'm going home.
0: Oh, that's rough. But you know what? That's one of those things that you can tell as a story later, for example, on a podcast. Great, great. Looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it's it's fun and in your favor. Well, cool. This sounds like it's really fun. I'm excited to try out some of these things. What of these would you actually buy, do you think?
1: I'm in the market for a new snowboard. Having an edge grip size is better. It sounds really great to me. I mean, other cool small things I saw too. Stanley's making ceramic lined insulated growlers so you can put your beer in but you don't get any metallic taste with it. That's awesome.
0: That's nice. Yeah.
1: Tons of little things like that. That tarp, I think, is awesome. The snowboard's awesome. A new technology, which I'm super amped for. I saw it from Oakley and Spy. Both have it in goggles, and they're goggles that change tints. Oh. You can think of like transition sunglasses, you know, all the cool kids in middle school had them, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. My stepdad wears those.
1: Nice. (laughs) So you can think of it like that technology, but instead of reacting to light, it's electronic driven. So you can tap a button and these goggles will cycle through various levels of tint. So if you're changing light or you're on the mountain for longer, or you have like a one mile section of some long trail that just goes through the shade or what have you, you can switch your tint to better fit the situation you're skiing through.
0: Well, thank you for telling us about all this stuff and coming on the podcast. And uh, good luck, <laughs> not mistaking professional sports people for, for people that you friends. knew from college.
1: You know, it's the first time for everything, so hopefully it's the last time for that one, too.
0: Yeah, nice. All right, see you, See you. Yeah. We actually have a brand new guest on our podcast right now, Ross McCammon, who is our senior articles editor, I believe.
4: Sure. This is your first time? It's <laughs> my first time. Yeah. Well,
0: welcome to the podcast. And you worked on our winter camping package, which is uh, getting started. You kind of always do our getting started in now.
4: I do. That's the first thing I got started in when I uh, came over to <laughs> Popular Mechanics. You got started in getting started. Why not, started not get in? started in that?
0: And this one is on winter camping, which is just camping in the winter, I assume. But it seems like there's a lot of concerns that you have to think about.
4: Well, the obvious concern is it's cold. Right, and there's snow, but there's some less obvious concerns. And one of them is dehydration because oh, really? you're, you're exerting a lot of energy, and I think you don't realize you are because it's so cold. You're not sweating a lot, and that's one of the problems. There's not that indication that you're you know, exerting all that energy, but you are breathing out a lot of water vapor. And so you're exhaling a lot of water vapor and you can dehydrate really easily. Um, so that's the big one, but obviously, it's just incredibly cold.
0: Right, right, <laughs> and there. I mean, there are other things. I mean, I assume starting a fire—you can't start a fire in your tent. That's like the, the basic thing. Really <laughs> you do really still have to do. go
4: outside to start a fire. Rule, yeah, and you can't really find a lot of dry wood. So there's just oh, a lot right. of wet wood. Campfires in the winter, like with winter camping, are kind of overrated. They're nice, but they're really hard to start. Right, they're hard to keep going. They're very smoky because it's probably very wet wood. And you're kind of better off being in your tent. Really? Yeah. And that's one of the issues with winter camping is that you can get really bored. Like that's (laughs) like that. Actually, that's the big danger is unbelievable boredom. So you have to figure that part out. (laughs) You sound
0: like you've done this. Have you done this? I've
4: done it. It's been a while, but I've, yeah, Arizona. You don't get what gets really cold. Arizona gets really cold. High desert, right? Unbelievably cold. Wow. Yeah. Like just right outside of the Grand Canyon. You wouldn't think it, but, and it can be. You know, I think I was there for around, you know, spring break time, and it's, you know, high teens, low 20s. Wow. Anyway. and so During the day, it's And I was not prepared. Really? It was just me and three friends, and we had driven from Texas, like, that day.
0: Okay, you said that what you would end up doing probably is spending a lot of time in your tent. I mean, obviously, you need a special sleeping bag that's rated to a particular temperature. It's going to keep you warm enough. Are there tents that are rated like that, or...?
4: Yeah. You want to look for all season. You see a lot of three season Oh, okay. i always wonder what that. Yeah. And really what it amounts to, and, and this is true with a lot of the gear, um, sleeping bags and tents as well, is you're really just talking about breathability. You're talking about what it does is just traps heat in, you uh-huh. know, and it's intolerable basically and in, outside of really cold temperatures, but that's what you want just like you do with clothing and you know, gloves and it's the same concept. Yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah. you definitely, if it's above freezing, you don't need special winter gear. The stuff that you have should work fine. Right. You just want to layer up obviously with your clothing and you want to you have a sleeping bag. But when it gets really, really cold, you need to ask for, you know, have somebody help you out with really, really Things that are rated, basically. For, right. for and you really winter. need,
3: like, a pad for under your sleeping bag more when it's yes. really cold, right?
4: Yeah. I mean, A, it's just more comfortable. And, you know, you should do that anyway. But B, it's just a, a layer of insulation that you wouldn't have otherwise.
0: Those can be really good for spring camping. One time I went spring camping and my fiance put the, uh, the tarp over the tent, the rainfly, the wrong way. Mm. And it rained really hard. And we woke up on two little islands of sleeping pads in the middle of <laughs> an entire like a, two inches of water so we were saved by our sleeping pads cool so I mean in terms of gear you've got your tent you've got your sleeping pad you've got your sleeping bag do you have to get the snow out of the way do you need to have like snowshoes do you need to have some ice way axe. To, I ice axe I just kind of want an ice think. axe it you just looks, want one?
4: yeah I, I, was, I, I would feel ready for anything with one of those in my hand I, I get it Yeah. Um, you probably don't need an ice axe
0: But you can buy one. You can Um, hang it on
4: your wall. Yeah. I mean, one thing you want to think about is footwear. And if things are icy at all, I think crampons are really, really important. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're just talking about snow, hiking boots are fine. You know, they're usually waterproof. A good pair of hiking boots is waterproof. And that's really, you know, if you're talking about a few inches of snow, you should be good. Um, Obviously, if you're in the backcountry, I think snowshoes are great. And then there's cross-country skiing. But waterproof hiking boots, you know, that they're incredible tools. You really don't need a trail. You don't need, you can just kind of get out there. So
0: what about emergency sorts of things? Like if you get in a situation, I guess this is all camping, but what do you use for that? Is a smartphone enough or do you need like a specific sort of, I don't know, beacon
4: or something? Well, what's, you know, I think a smartphone is really, really important for winter camping for a lot of reasons. One, it goes back to sort of the boredom that we were talking about (laughs) earlier. But, you know, if you're outside of range, that's a whole different ballgame. And obviously, I think you need to talk to someone at your camping gear store about those options. But, you know, there are two kinds of camping. I think there's you can, you know, still use your smartphone and you can't. Right. So
0: (laughs) I'm normally type A if I'm going camping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the guy that you had write this, Craig Becker. How did you you find him and, and who is he?
4: He writes for popularmechanics.com a lot this is his first print piece but he basically totally immersed in this world really yeah he is i'm actually forgetting where he's from right now but he is
0: he's like a yeah
4: yeah (laughs) he's the kind of guy you can call up and he just knows he knows the answers so and he and you'll see him all over popularmechanics.com right yeah okay did he have any favorite places Yeah. You know, there's two things to think about in terms of places. There's places with lots of snow and there's places with not a lot of snow. But there are a few recommendations he makes. And one is Crater Lake uh, National Park in Oregon. Lots of snow, lots of fresh powder. The Adirondacks are incredible in the winter. You know, all these places are deserted. And that's one of the best parts about winter camping is that there's just not that many people, Uh you know. So if you're the kind of person who rolls up to a campground and you're hoping you don't see anybody, you should switch to winter because there just aren't going to be that many people there. The Ice Age Trail in Wisconsin, uh, which is like a 1,200-mile trek across Wisconsin, is super, super scenic. And then Great Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado is another great place he recommends.
0: Right. So you can get kind of like the South Island of New Zealand experience just by going in like a season that nobody goes.
4: Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't understand why more people just don't do the opposite of what everyone else (laughs) wants to do. Like, I think that's, you know, I was reading a story about going to Rome and they're like, just don't go to the places everybody wants to go to, (laughs) you know what I mean? And it's the same thing with. But you just then go elsewhere and you can have an, a magical experience. And I think that's the same thing. Yeah, that's just as true with right. Uh, camping. So, right. Yeah.
0: yeah, we always end up uh, at the beach in the middle of the I was actually at the beach this weekend in the middle of the winter oh, yeah. on the North Fork. And there was no one there. Yeah. So it was great.
4: My wife and I have gone to Montauk in the winter, which is the very eastern end of Long Island. And it's we didn't camp but we were like the only ones there and there was snow on the beach and it was amazing winter yeah. winter can be such a magical time to travel i think it's totally underrated yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah
3: i camped in the pine barrens one year in february and it was like just one warmer than usual weekend and there was one other campsite with people in it but uh-huh. it was like you know you could have thrown a stone and hit manhattan
2: mm-hmm.
0: what there did you there. did you get bored no,
3: we hiked around a lot and I mean the Pine Barrens people are a little weird. So we like saw people going by on like their four-wheelers, but the campground was pretty empty.
0: So you had, you got like some unique people watching.
3: Yeah,
4: we were like on guard a little bit, but you know, very alert. Nice. The best travel experiences often involve being on guard, you know. Yeah. The most most memorable, <laughs> the most memorable times.
0: Cool. Well, uh, do you have any plans to go winter camping in the immediate future?
4: Uh, I'm too busy, but maybe <laughs> I should make some. I'm just so focused on the next getting started in. So I need to, I need to, I <laughs> what need to vacation. We have, let's see, is skydiving next?
0: Skydiving is next. Yeah. We actually talked about yeah. it on the podcast right after I did it. Cause I was so excited. Yeah.
4: Yeah. So skydiving is next. Finally coming um, out. Yeah. That's, that's exciting.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. well, thank you. For joining us, and thank uh, you. we hope you'll come back of and course. tell us yeah. how to get started in more getting started. Of course, thank you. It's time again for your favorite segment, Sash Facts. Sash Facts, and, and we have a special guest for this. I one. was just going to say that we <laughs> have well, we have our usual special guest, which is Eleanor, and then we have a double special guest, which is Jack. What's your last name, Jack? Langland jack langland who yep. is our new intern yeah
5: <laughs> jack started on wednesday and will be us with us through the spring and you're a senior at sarah lawrence college yep. and you used to be or are an eagle scout that's right is that for
0: life is
5: that like <laughs> uh, a good role, I, think,
6: I think it's for life i'm pretty sure i can wear it like i can show up to any you know function or whatever wearing my uniform and i'm still supposed to technically be addressed as an eagle scout but I don't know dr- how, it well, works. Like, how
5: does that work like, do you introduce yourself as Eagle Scout? I can Eagle always Scout? say that
6: I'm an Eagle Scout, yeah. Okay, well, per, yeah.
5: Per James Lynch, once an Eagle Scout. Yeah, always, always an Eagle I Scout. See.
0: Yeah. That doesn't surprise me no. either. <laughs> okay, so Sash Facts, you were asking this before we got started. You were asking Jack this. Is it actually a sash? We just wanted to make it rhyme, but, but is it actually a sash, the thing that all the badges go on?
6: Yeah, I think that I think that's the official name. A Merit Badge Sash. A
0: okay.
5: Merit Badge Sash. Good, so we're right. Yeah. Great. Cool. Okay, so I looked into... The Unknown History of the Boy Scouts (laughs) for our website, which is up now. You can read it now. But I found some wild facts about the history of the Boy Scouts. So it was actually formed in the UK first. Mm -hmm. It was this guy named Sir Robert Mm Baden-Powell, who was in the British military. And he was a baron. Uh, I think he was like a, a general in the army. And he was in South Africa fighting in the Second Boer War. And basically, like... It sounds extreme for the beginning of the... Super place. extreme. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Boy Scouts are pretty extreme. Like, if you go into, like, what they actually do, like, uh-huh. what they... You know, it's a survivalist thing, basically. You're <laughs> supposed to be, like... Like, an Eagle Scout really is someone who can do anything, anywhere. Like, you drop yeah. an Eagle Scout anywhere and they'll survive, right? Like, that's Hopefully, the idea? yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. We all hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked for Sir Robert Baden-Powell because he was vastly outnumbered and basically enlisted these local boys in like the village that he was defending and they were 12 to 15 years old and they wore a khaki uniform and a wide-brimmed hat and they basically like took over the tasks that his adult regiment couldn't handle by themselves so they were wow. like literally scouting like surveying the land like seeing how many enemy forces were there and delivering messages and, like, they rode around on donkeys until the siege lasted too long. And then they ate the donkeys and they rode around on bicycles.
0: That sounds really fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it was war, but... <laughs> well, right.
5: No,
2: sure.
0: <laughs> but probably, like, very exciting for these youths. That's right, right. That's what I'm saying. Like, compared to, yeah. like, the boulderized childhood that everyone has today, like, right. getting to ride around on donkeys and then eat them sounds like... <laughs> sounds <laughs> fascinating to, like, a 13-year-old boy, doesn't it? I guess, yeah, I yeah? yes. No? Okay.
5: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so after this guy, like, got back to the UK, he was like, wow, like, those... Boy Scouts were great. And so he like wrote this book called Scouting for Boys. And it was like an instant hit. And all of these Boy Scout troops started popping up all across the UK. And then it, you know, jumped over to the U.S. And so the Boy Scouts of America were founded in, there was February 8th, 1910. So it's their, it was just their 109th anniversary. Wow. And my second favorite fact is that, <laughs> so basically the guy who sponsored the first Boy Scouts of America troop was this Chicago newspaper man. He was William Dixon Boyce. He owned a couple of newspapers in Chicago. And William Randolph Hearst, who was a New York newspaper man. Who could that be? We're in the Hearst <laughs> Tower, we're in, right the the in, tower. Case in case you're not. He was just like, not on my watch and just formed a rival Boy Scout troop <laughs> called the American Boy Scouts. What? And the key difference between these two early Boy Scout groups was that Hearst's Boy Scouts carried a rifles because he <laughs> wanted them to be battle ready. And so he thought that training in the fighting arts was a really important part of whatever training that this group was going through. And so, as you can imagine, it didn't really go well. Like There was a press rivalry between these two groups, but then also... What could go wrong when you had twelve-year-old boys marching around nineteen ten New York carrying rifles? Right, a couple people died. No. It was the, oh yeah,
0: wow. Yeah,
5: like young kids. It's actually kind of sad. There was like one nine-year-old boy in the in the Bronx who was like, I think. The story is the kid thought that he had blanks in his rifle, but then oh, no. shot the other wow. guy. Yeah, horrible. Do they
0: want us reporting this from the Hearst
5: Tower? <sighs> well, this was after Hearst got bored of the American oh, Boy Scouts and, and then... sort of passed it along to someone okay. else.
0: Okay, disassociated himself with it. And
5: then... Yeah. Okay. Very tragic and dramatic. Jack, did you learn any of this when you were a I boy was going to ask this. Did no. they make you learn
6: the history? <laughs> no, I wish we had.
5: What did they tell you about the founding of the Boy Scouts?
6: Now, Lord Baden-Powell, you are kind of like expected to know who he is and... You know, you see pictures of him everywhere. He's kind of like the Santa Claus of the Boy Scouts, you know. He's got
5: the white mustache and everything. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, he
6: looks like it. you know. And um, (laughs) I was actually in the Boy Scouts during the centennial of the Boy Scouts of America. So we had to learn a bunch of whatever trivia about the Boy Scouts at the time. And the only story I really remember was that, who was the guy that brought it to America? I don't even remember. Oh,
5: William Dixon Boyce.
6: William Dixon Boyce. So apparently the way he found out about the Boy Scouts was he was in London on business and he was lost in the fog and no idea where he was. And suddenly this uniformed kid, you know, wearing a wide brimmed hat, walks up to him and asks him if he knows where he's going. And he's like, no, you know, I'm completely lost. I have no idea where I am. So the scout, as he turned out to be, took him by the arm and led him to where he needed to go. And that kind of led to the Boy Scouts kind of, you know, spreading to America. That's oh,
5: so heartwarming. That
0: is a heartwarming story.
5: Although I have to say, like, if I were lost in the mist and like a small child in a <laughs> uniform appeared and was like, I will take you where you need to go. I would be
0: weirded out by that. One question I have about the Boy Scouts is Eagle Scout is a, that's the top. Mm-hmm. How do you, what do you actually have to do to get that? Like, what is required?
6: Well, it's a long process. First, so you probably know there's like a succession of ranks essentially in the Boy Scouts. And each one, usually you have to spend, it goes first class, star, life, eagle, I think if I remember right. And so once you get to star, you have to spend six months at each position before you can progress to the next one. And then in each rank succession, you have to go to essentially like, it's almost like a, like a board meeting or something. It's <laughs> it's very business like. All the um, kind of adult leaders in the troop sit you down at a big table and they ask you a bunch of, how you fulfilled your leadership requirement. You know why you're in the Boy Scouts. You know a bunch of kind of it can get kind of intensive. You know they they really kind of grill you. And I got I failed a couple of them. Actually, they'll kick you back down to the to the last rank if you don't pass. Really? Yeah. So, you have to be a life scout for, I think it's six months. And then you have to have, I think it's like 20, 21 merit badges to qualify. And there's like eight that you're required to have kind of like your essential like core skills, like swimming, lashing, athletics, like things like that. And then you have to come up with a community service project um, that's supposed to benefit your community directly in some way that you have to oversee. And again, you have to get that approved. I failed my first time. It's kind of like a long procedure. <laughs> yeah, it's so bureaucratic. It's pretty, yeah, yeah, it's it the the Boy Scouts is like forty percent bureaucracy, <laughs> and when you get to a certain <laughs> point, then, you like, have to like another forty percent building fires. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. sometimes there's fun stuff.
5: What was the hardest badge that you earned for you? The most difficult.
6: God, the only one that I remember really was because I was in it during the centennial. They brought back all these old merit badges that they don't have anymore. So one of them was signaling. Mm-hmm. where you had to learn Morse code and semaphore, and then I think some other kind of just like old-fashioned you know, communication thing. And you essentially had to receive a message in semaphore and then transmit a message in semaphore and then do the same thing for Morse code. And that was tough. That <laughs> the hardest
5: sounds really hard. The hardest yeah, was part of rough. that to me sounds like finding someone who will accept a
6: message in oh, semaphore yeah, yeah. and then
5: send it yeah, Who did
0: you send it to?
5: <laughs> uh, Boy
6: Scout. No, yeah. I was literally just like sitting across the table from a scout leader and he was like, he had that little light bulb on the table. that He was uh, essentially like tapping a wire to a battery. and he That's like, pretty sending out cool. The, that is pretty cool. Code, yeah, and I had to like write it down, figure out what it's he was very saying. very popular mechanics. It's,
0: it's very popular mechanics. Cool. Well, that sounds really <laughs> intensive and congratulations on, <laughs> on making it. What year did you make it?
6: I think I was 16. You're 16? I don't remember. Five years ago. Okay.
0: Cool. Well, cool. Uh, welcome to the staff, temporarily at least. And uh, congrats on, again on your Eagle Scoutness. And, that and has, your Sash. And your Sash. <laughs> and that has been Sash Facts. Sash Facts. Alex, George, you haven't been on this podcast in a while.
2: I know it's been a minute. Just out there predicting the future. Predicting, time. The,
0: <laughs> predicting the future mm-hmm. and being our IT guy. That's your name in the magazine. Somebody sent a letter one time saying how beloved you were on this podcast. Do you remember that?
2: Oh, it's framed. It's on my mirror. No, I do remember what you're talking about. It was very flattering. It was very flattering. So glad to be back.
0: So welcome back. In our most recent March issue, you did a whole piece called What I'm Looking Forward To. And I thought we would get your predictions.
2: Yeah, I think it came from first week of, or I think this year was second week anyway, of January is CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. And end of the year is when everybody's looking to, you know, make some prediction about what's going to be really cool the forthcoming year based on what we know already, but are based on rumors or whatever. And I was just, I've been surveying them all year. And this was kind of a collection of the things that I thought I was actually going to be watching the news for and things I was kind of coveting farther ahead among them. So I got kind of a range of things. First one is, so Porsche is making this electric car called the Taycan. T-A-Y-C-A-N. C-A-Y-C-A-N. Okay.
0: So it's like a tycoon.
2: So <laughs> I hesitate when I said that because they Porsche actually made a video a while ago of explaining how to say Porsche.
0: Uh-huh. Porsche.
2: <laughs> and I was like, it's like, you know, when somebody says, like, don't say it this way, you're like, I wasn't thinking about saying it that way, oh, but yeah. now I'm saying it that way. Anyway. You're like,
0: Versace. Wait a minute. Oh, no. crap
2: That's kind of what I just went through there. Ignore me. Porsche's electric car. So they're building this new electric vehicle. They have uh, kind of prototypes coming out. The coolest part about it is that Uh, It's a pretty dorky detail. So it's fast. So you would expect it's really luxurious inside. But the major number that's cool is that it has this, they're saying that it can be a 350 kilowatt charging system. So that means is you can get 62 miles of range in about four minutes. And it's about twice that for a Tesla. So that means like if you can kill four minutes in a gas station convenience store and then you can get. 62 miles of range on it, that's kind of like making an electric car that almost works like a gas car. Oh,
0: that's awesome. Which is kind of
2: insane. Right, because
0: how, I mean, some of them take a long time to charge, right? Oh,
2: yeah, for sure. Yeah, the ones that use these lower-level chargers, you're, you know, you have to find four hours to kill. This one, we're talking like less than five minutes for over 60 miles of range. Um, wow. And yeah, there's all sorts of stuff I, you have to predict for it. But, I was going to
0: say, what is involved in even making that happen? Like, how do you make a faster charger? Is this going to require electrical engineering?
2: That's what I really want to know. They, uh-huh. haven't been, they haven't been candid about the details, but they're saying that spec, and I want to know how that's going to happen and kind of what that does for, you know, if uh, Tesla's going to try and match that, If um, when that number came out, I said, whoa. And Porsche just doesn't make junk, so... Whatever they do with it, I i can't Porsche wait to see doesn't it. doesn't
0: make junk. Don't make no junk.
2: That should be their slogan. I'm sure there's a j- cool way to say that in German that I'm not thinking of. <laughs> junk and looking, not in portion. So that's one of them. The other one is uh, like something more attainable. So there's this company called Zeiss, Z-E-I-S-S. It's this like blue logo you probably recognize. They make glass for like Sony cameras yeah, and for like I, I, I do
0: know exactly what you're talking about.
2: So... I haven't checked on it in a little bit, but they're making, they said they're making their own camera and it's this basically this really basic looking camera. But the idea is that, you know, it's, um, it's got an internal rechargeable batteries. So you don't have like a battery cradle to charge it with the way you do other cameras. It has USB-C. It's got all these different controls. I think the cool idea for it is just that there's this basic issue with smartphone cameras that the sensor can only be so big. They look incredible thanks to all the software that's doing all this work for it. But this is like a very concentrated version of like what a, handheld camera would be with like syncing across devices that actually works. Uh, it's got Adobe Lightroom built into it. All those cool little features hey, that any Adobe camera. What's Adobe Lightroom? There's Adobe Photoshop, which is like the heavy duty f- pro photo e- editing app. Yeah. Lightroom is this app that they make that is for kind of organizing and doing a fair amount of retouching on your photos. And it's, we should get Kevin back in here to talk about how the satisfaction geekly organizing things. Uh-huh. It's very fun for something like okay. that. So if you take your photos seriously, you'll probably have heard of that app and think it's not free, but I think it might come with this camera. Anyway, it's this camera that has all this built-in stuff that I think is gonna make any kind of photo geek like me pretty happy when it finally comes out. Okay. Besides that, there's this um it's this e-ink device. So e ink is this like an Amazon Kindle is mm-hmm. an e-ink. Uh-huh. You know, it's that kind of, you know, textured you know, type of screen where it's this uh there are these little things beneath the screen that are turning black or white, and it kind of actually is a physical display, right? As opposed to just and like it, an LCD it's screen. It's not. It's like
0: not backlit, and that's right. the whole thing. That and it's the battery like not, lasts
2: forever, and yeah. it's you know, you can look at it without. It's kind of like an etch, it's
0: like an etch a sketch in terms of actual colors. Totally. Yeah, yeah it, that's what it reminds me of. I mean, I know that's not how it works, but
2: this company called uh, Free FreeWrite—they're making like a little. It's this adorable twee like basically a mini typewriter type thing Uh that has an E-ing screen and a keyboard on it. And it syncs to Dropbox, so it'll back up all your stuff. But the idea is you can bust it open and be working on it. And it's this extremely distraction. Like, there's no YouTube to get sucked down, which if you, you know.
0: As a writer, I was going to say, as a a professional writer, uh, that seems like something you would like. That's kind of what you, don't you use something like that when you do.
2: There's this app called Freedom that blocks out the internet. So, like, I use that to, you know, try and get stuff done when I'm on deadline. But this is even more of like a, it's an even more austere version of that. I've seen a couple of devices that use e-ink like tablets that Sony makes where you can write on it and it's e-ink as opposed to like an actual, like an iPad screen. And it looks really cool. I think it's much easier to look at. I think it'd be cool if they make more devices that are like this. Um, Question is, I don't see a lot of people choosing this over something like an iPad. But I hope that you know that we see more stuff like this that I use e ink screens and in kind of a crazy way. Is the keyboard
0: the keyboard separate from this?
2: It's like a little mini laptop. So the oh, keyboard's okay. kind of like like a folded laptop. If you cut like the lower, like the trackpad section and below off of it, uh-huh. that's kind of what it looks like. So it's just oh, okay. kind of like a mini keyboard or something like oh, that. It so
0: reminds me of like a word mm-hmm. processor. I feel like that's what word processors used to look it's cr- like. It's right? Everything's
2: bending back on itself or running be, out of nostalgia. It really funny, yeah, if they were like,
0: oh, this is a new, you know, word processor. And you're like, that's, wait. That's a typewriter. We <laughs> had, a, yeah, like they call it like a uh, analog word processor. Or something, yeah, and like uh, Kickstarter, $500. Okay, guys. So cool. I mean, all this sounds exciting. What else? Is that it?
2: The toughest thing about all this is that these big tech companies are always, you know, they want to only want to give out as little information as possible. Mm. These big tech companies, they only want to give out a certain amount of information, maybe a teaser image or something like that. So you only get a few things here and there from, um, like, leaked sources or documents or whatever. There's been a couple of them for the next Sony PlayStation, the next Nintendo Switch. Ooh. Um, whichever one of those comes out next, I'm kind of looking forward to. Because so I think the idea is that, you know it'll use streaming over the internet so you won't have to have like this big honkin' box next to your tv um big box. yeah i know that's <laughs> you're in you're in their ad department seriously right we'll need a big honkin' box. box put that on the billboard please quote uh-huh. from popular mechanics and making everything you know potentially you could play it on your phone or you can just have it kind of remotely accessible it's right. not i mean i don't like the idea of you know playing video games on my phone or anything like that but i like yeah. i think it's Whatever they end up doing, it'll be pretty technologically impressive because right. it's this is a difficult thing to do to make, you know, something, you know, 3D environment like this work on portable devices. Right. Um, so whatever form it takes, I think it'll be kind of really blow us away.
0: I was going to say, I mean, I'm not enticed to play like Bejeweled or any of those like yeah. Candy Crush sort of games because they just seem, I mean, I, I play them on a really long flight after I've already watched three movies and mm-hmm. read part of my book and I'm really tired of doing everything. But I feel like if I had a, a smartphone that could play like Super Mario Brothers 3, yeah. then that would be like the end of my productivity. I'd be like, oh, well, sorry, I got to play this. So, you know, like a really cool, it's like, it'd be like a Game Boy. Having a Game Boy in your phone, I used, oh, to, like, I used to like the Game Boy, yeah, when I was, when I was a kid. So. Oh,
2: you did you have the big beige? The
0: big beige, yeah. yeah. Like, so the big beige Game Boy. I like that one. I used to play um, Kirby.
2: Oh, yeah, Kirby, He like yeah. sucks
0: everything in and then blows it back out and he's oh, like a big man. marshmallow. Yeah. He's, he's a good one. I like him.
2: They're so great.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, the future sounds pretty exciting. Are you going to buy one of those Porsches?
2: Oh, yeah. It's on my list. Yeah. <laughs> so we're starting a crowdfunding campaign. to get, <laughs> to get uh, tech editor Alex George a Porsche.
0: James Lynch is in town again, back from Outdoor Retailer, where you were last podcast. Yeah. And this time you have been testing something that you thought you were going to make fun of, and now you don't get to make fun of it.
3: Yeah, that's true. I have to eat my hat now, but... <laughs> I definitely got a pitch email for this thing and was like, that is so stupid there's no way it'll work. Uh I want to test it and just roast it. I had some poor intentions, but, you know. I know, this is
0: mean. You know, people think that you accept things in good faith and meanwhile. I mean, I have good faith.
3: Sometimes I'm just mean (laughs) or plan to be mean. Okay, so it's called the Physics, F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S, and it is a at-home beer pour, like a beer tap, and their whole thing is... Take canned beer and have it like it's beer out of a tap. And you know, maybe I was being a little snobby living in Vermont where I was like, delicious beer, like, get out of here. There's taps
0: everywhere. Why but, do I need to have this at home? I can't have this. You
3: know, this is a total like Father's Day trap. You know, uh-huh. I'll get this draft beer. So the whole idea is you have this physics draft, right? And you either plug it in or it runs on batteries, which seems unnecessary to me. Like, I'm not bringing this thing to the beach, but whatever. And uh, you pull the top off and you put a can, an open can inside, and a metal straw goes through the small opening of the can into it.
0: Wait, sorry, the can is open. The can's open. Okay. So, so it, could it doesn't be like, puncture the can or anything? No, no, no. Okay. It
3: could be like a 12-ounce can, a six ounce can. The one I tried can fit a bomber, like a 20-ounce bottle. Okay. So it's like it gets pretty big. And then the original physics, which is not the one I tested, it's a little bit bigger, but you can put a growler in there. Anywho, so you take your open container of beer, you put this metal straw through the opener of it, and you close it up and plug it in. And then when you pour the draft handle towards you meters the beer out at a consistent rate into your glass it's like oh i'm like pouring a beer and at first i thought it was like a novelty toy like okay you can pour what's the point of that Yeah, it's like i could knock a beer can over and do the same job right but it worked i was really i was i didn't expect this like the other thing they really promote is that it also will like create a head it'll foam your beer for you with Uh like audio waves Uh uh-huh
0: which like audio waves.
3: Oh, like crazy sonic wave technology. Okay. So, again, so like
0: I imagine you can you're watching the video of this and you're like, "All right, with your crazy sonic wave I'm like, technology. Bring it. I'm yeah, gonna I, would, roast I would love you to guys. make fun of this." Yes. Okay.
3: And I'm not one who wants a super big head on his beer, so like that didn't really appeal to me much, but I did a little pour. I had my roommates there and I was like, "Yo, this thing is so silly. Like taste this." We're like, "It's going to be ridiculous." I tied a Labatt Blue Light because I figured it's going to make the biggest difference with a cheap beer. Like okay. if I'm going to notice a one flavor beer is like where I'm going to notice it. Right. So I did a little taste test, Labatt Blue Light. It's a light Pilsner from Canada. Great. And then I did a little physics thing and I felt like the idiot here because it was way better. It worked. So okay, Better in what way? Like
0: what was better Right. it?
3: So, like, it actually got rid of that canned beer taste. Like, it actually tasted like a beer from a draft, like, the the difference in them. Uh And I was, like, really surprised. In that, like, a canned beer, like, you don't notice it because you're not, like, drinking it next to an uncanned beer. But, like, sometimes, like, a Pilsner or, like, a cream Ale or something like that has that, like, light, kind of tangy, funky, soury aftertaste at the end. Like, this has been canned. Like, it's not fresh beer. It's been there a bit.
0: Right. And it totally got rid of that. I wonder how much of that is just, like actually drinking from a piece of metal that has recently been like opened you know what i mean that you're smelling sure. some sort of metal or some sort of taste
3: I, I did do my taste test and not out of the can but out of, out of a glass so Uh-oh. i poured it into a glass oh you did i okay. did so i'm not sure if it's the like aeration what they're doing with the metering of it or like uh what's it when you put wine in a decan- decanter de- yeah. like, what, what's the call decan- when you put wine, wine in, in a decanter, decanter. <laughs> what could it be i don't know um could be literally anything there's no way to tell but it works great you know, the, one of the photos they have on here is of, of, a, of a can of Heady Topper. And when this, which is like a really a fancy, famous Vermont A famous, people beer. wait in line for it. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of their can says drink straight from the can. So, like, respect to them. Uh-huh. But uh, I think if you're buying nice enough beer, this doesn't make a lot of sense. But And I know the question is going to come, would I buy this for myself and I'll sell you right now? I probably would not. It's $130 on oh, sale wow. right now. Oh, wow.
0: I was expecting it was cheaper than that.
3: Yeah, it's not. A nothing thing, but if you are serving drinks from a plywood bar, this is the perfect thing for you.
0: Right. Okay. So now I don't, I can't ask how much it costs or whether you would buy it. Would you buy it for someone else?
3: Yes. You yeah. would. I, okay. I would. I think if someone else was going in with me on a gift, because I'm like, like, if I was going to spend 130 bucks on something, maybe I'd buy someone a nice sweater, you know? Right.
0: But there like, are nicer things to be had. Right. Right. But
3: if, uh, if you're related to someone who's about to become a frat president, this is what you got to <laughs> get them.
0: What about a beer snob, like somebody who's an actual beer snob who is drinking good beers, like someone like Matt Allen, who's been on this podcast, who is I think he's a he has a he's a, 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 trone, a, a Cicerone. Cicerone. Okay, I can like I a beer sommelier. Say. Yes, one who, um, one who
3: Caesar's beer, one
0: who Caesar's <laughs> he uses a beer <laughs> C- and, Uh
3: Yeah, I could not imagine Matt Allen using this just because of like the novelty, weird aspect of it. It like, uh-huh. doesn't seem. Serious enough You know Right And like while it might Add something to A nicer canned beer experience It kind of feels like A little like A little toyish You know
0: Okay It feels like it should Come out of like A signals catalog Yeah
3: Or like a hematish Sharper one. image 100% Okay Like you're You're reading this thing Like reading about It two miles in the air And coach Just like
5: yes The Sky Sign mall, Sign me up
3: Let's do it So yeah Really specific audience For this one Okay But it worked And I thought it wasn't Going to And I was wrong So physics Respect to you I was pretty impressed.
0: All right. Well, next time you're back down here, you got to bring it.
3: Oh, deal. Sure. For sure.
0: That's our show, y'all. The most useful podcast ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Brandcasters, Inc. at www.brandcastingu.com. We'd like to thank Bettina Warshaw and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about life hacks, projects, science, and technology, check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.